0: tell them to be cautiously fearless. I would tell them that there is nothing stopping them. They have as much right, as much ability to do this as anyone else. I've met some people that maybe their IQ isn't the highest, maybe their family doesn't have the most money, but they were just determined and they did it. People will help you if you ask for help. Don't be afraid to get advice. Don't be afraid to listen to good advice. Sometimes you have to go in your own corner and plan. Other times you have to to listen and ask. And where there's a will, there's a way.
1: Hi everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups in seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we have another uh, great guest on the, the podcast, uh, Carol Bentoncourt, and uh, Carol grew up in South Carolina, and in her own words, was a bit of a shy uh, kid. Uh, but went to university and uh, majored in biology and spent a, a year post grad at a job that she didn't like and then decided to, to go in a bit of different direction. so she went dance for Disney in Orlando did a bit of ballet did some uh, work on cruise lines, and then decided to open up a dance uh, dance school and open up in a few locations. Um, did that for a period of time and then decided she wanted to take a step back and work from home for a bit so got a, a remote job work or uh, writing users guides and then for, uh, that company got acquired, um, then she became an, a consultant and also ran her dad's studio um, everything was growing and then uh, her mother got Alzheimer's so she decided she wanted to slow things down a bit help her mother and then her mother passed away and now uh, she took a transition and is uh, being the VP of marketing um, for a business as well so with and then uh, by in her own words she also has about uh, w- or at least one more entrepreneurial entrepreneurial endeavor left in the future so with that much as an introduction welcome on the podcast Carol.
0: Wow. Well, thank you very much, Devin. It's it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Hey, my pleasure. And I just uh, went through and uh, condensed a much longer journey into a, a 30 or 40 seconds. And so why don't we uh, unpack that a bit and tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in South Carolina and uh, how, how your journey I started there.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, yes, I did grow up in South Carolina and I grew up in a family where I had the privilege of seeing a mixture of examples. My father was very much a corporate man. He was an engineer. He worked for the same company for a long, long time, retired with the gold watch and everything, and was very happy in his world. And so I saw the benefits of that level of security. But my mother's father, my grandfather, was always an entrepreneur. He invested in real estate. He invested in futures. Um, My uncle um, did similar types of things. And so I Kind of saw the benefits of both and even in my in 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 looking at a figure of my father who whom i admire very much i saw even though he's very loyal to that that company and and the the security that it provided in his worth at work ethic i also saw things that informed my own entrepreneurial journey you, whether you work for someone else or for yourself you take ownership and you bring ideas to the table. So that's, that's how my growing up influenced my journey the rest of the way.
1: No, I say, okay, that definitely is, is helpful. And you, so you say, okay, that kind of influenced the, the beginnings of your journey. Um, then as you're growing up, you're coming out of high school, you're going into um, university and decided to major in biology. Is that right?
0: That's correct. That that is correct. And people often raise an eyebrow when they hear that was my major, and they hear what I do now, which is associated with the broadcast industry and software and hardware development. Uh, They hear other things that I've done in the world of the arts, and they shake their head. (laughs) How does a biology major turn out to be this way? Well, as that child in South Carolina, I always enjoyed experimenting. I always asked for things like science kits and microscopes and telescopes and things like that were my favorite Christmas presents. Well, I had other things too, but but I really enjoyed those. I enjoyed experimenting. I enjoyed um, just getting my hands wet and I enjoyed all of the school that that, that was involved with. When it came to my, my very first job in the field I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the the routine lab work. I didn't enjoy the type of goals that the organization I was working for had. And I won't really elaborate on any of that. That's well in the past. Uh, And I didn't, particularly at that point in my life, want to face the schooling another four years of school or seven years of school that, that might be recommended to pursue that field at a higher level. And I do like doing things that are very, High level. So I just decided, well, I'll step back and do things I enjoy for a little while until I sort myself out. And it became very clear that that background of experimentation would also serve me well on my entrepreneurial journey. So I, I looked ahead thinking it might be for a short term. I enjoy being a ballet dancer. I enjoy some other things that I've done. I didn't even tell you about the the boat crew job maybe i did i don't remember but um i i just thought that i would do things that i enjoyed for a little while but those turned out to be the seeds of larger entrepreneurial ventures instead of just a timeout from my journey as a scientist
1: no i think that that makes perfect sense now well it makes one sense on one side no but here's my quote er, and he started to touch on it Going from biology to get, hey, you go work for, a, you know, a company or an industry and saying, hey, it's just not a good fit. Don't enjoy it. And it's not what I see doing for the rest of my life that I definitely understand. But how did you go from that to kind of, you know, I get on this one side you're saying it's temporary, but did you do dance where you had, did you have a lot of experience or how did you kind of get into that whole realm as far as saying, I'm going to make a fairly large departure or pivot, even if it didn't, it was originally intended to be for a short period of time. What made you decide to land on that?
0: I didn't just I didn't just do it randomly. And you did ask about my growing up, and I guess I didn't tell you that part. I I grew up taking ballet. I was a fairly well trained dancer. I took modern dance all through university. It was a love of mine. It wasn't something I and it's not. You you can't be a professional ballet dancer and just randomly decide I'm going to do this. You you have to be trained to do it. And and I was, but it was not something that my rather conservative parents thought was a good career it's it's good to be a young lady who can sit up straight and so on but I think they were a bit mortified when they saw me at 15 and 16 getting really deep into it and they thought a more serious a science degree was more suitable for anyone who wanted to have a proper income Uh, but but I I went my own way
1: Hey, every every entrepreneur's got to go their own way in the way that uh, makes sense to them. So, so now you say, okay, it started out as I'm going to take a break. I don't want to, you know, I just got done with school. Maybe sometime I'll go back, and then uh, from there, kind of expounded to you. Started out kind of doing things. I think for you mentioned the ballet, for cruises, for Disney, and other things. Then what made you decide to do the dance studio? Is it kind of just that natural progression or you wanted to transition to somewhere where it's a bit less travel or kind of, how did you get into the almost a bit more of the business side of running your own dance studio? I like money. <laughs> don't we all.
0: <laughs> and, and dancers uh, don't, don't make that much. I'm, I'm sure they make more than, than when I was working at that it, back in the day, Um, if I remember correctly, my salary as a ballet dancer for a regional ballet company, they would give me a 20 week a year contract. My salary was around $110 a week, which was fine as long as I lived with my grandparents in Palm Beach and their lovely condo, but it wasn't fine for making a life of my own. Disney paid a little bit better, but it's still not, it's not a lifetime career, it's fun. There's nothing like getting applause. There's nothing like being in the spotlight, but it's not, and it's tough. It's tough work. It's physically demanding. You have to be in peak condition 24-7, 365, and it's not a lifetime thing that you're going to do. Um, you're you're going to age out at about 30. Uh, if you're a star and you're hard worker and you really are passionate about it, you might age out at 40 or 50, but still, it's not a forever career and like I said I I do like money and I started doing the math and I had always admired my teachers growing up and I thought well I could do this and I started putting pen to paper as we used to do um, fingers to keyboard and I started sorting out just the the nuts and bolts of a brick and mortar business what would the rent cost what would um, utilities cost what would building out the space cost what would insurance music rights who would I hire? And I just planned it all out. It's really uh, I, not that hard. I, I think whether you work for someone else or work for yourself, you can take a creative position and you can ask for advice, you can look things up, but you can make a plan. And, and so that's what I did. And it turned out to be a good one.
1: No, and I think that there is uh, definitely a lot of uh, the to, to wisdom there in the sense that, to your point, you can either work for someone else, you can work for in and either way, you can still have creativity, you can enjoy it, you can or take it in the direction. And for me, at least, you know, working for yourself, you get to have some of that creative passion and, and have that greater control over the direction that you um, that you maybe or a lot of people are looking for. So now you did that, and you, you took the dance, you know, did the dance studio in your school, and you actually grew it into several locations. Um, and then at one point, you decided to take a step back a bit, and do a remote working or position? Was it just more of, hey, I got burned out, or it's a lot of work, or I'm wanted to take, you know, take a rest, or I want some easier kind of? What made you decide? Because again, it's a bit of a jump. So you went from biology into kind of more of the dance, and then from dance into doing user or writing users guides at a remote position. How did you kind of what prompted that to transition? Well,
0: I think every stage in life is different, Devin, and and. Just like you, you you may have a friend who's your best friend in kindergarten and they might and they might be kind of your person that you run with when you're 14, but maybe when you're 30, they're not, they might still be your best friend, but they might not. Different, different things in life fit at different times. And I think different careers are good for, for different times. When I turned 40, I had my second child. And I decided that I didn't want to raise her the same way I'd raised my son. My son was a dance studio kid. He would come there after school and that's where he would do his homework. And sometimes we had a nanny that picked him up. Sometimes his dad picked him up, but very often he was at the dance school. And I would be finished working at nine or 10 at night. I did have other staff obviously working. I wasn't everywhere at all the locations all at once, but it still was pretty hands-on for me. And my intention was to to scale back my involvement in that and just leave it to staff and eventually sell it to one of them or have them take over. Uh, But I was looking for something interesting that I could do at home. I didn't want to raise my second child where I'm giving my attention to everybody else's children during those after-school hours and not my own. So I thought I'm just going to you know, part-time worker and more of a full-time mommy. If I don't do it now, it's it's not going to happen. So that's, that was what was right for me at the time.
1: No, well, I think that makes sense. And sometimes you're saying, as you pointed out, different times or periods of times of life, you're looking for different things and, and different things are exciting or, or fit what you're, what the lifestyle you're looking for. And I definitely get, uh, you know, as you're Looking to spend a bit more time with kids, to take a step back, not be working so many crazy hours, and be able to to focus on that a bit. It makes sense. Um, and then I, I think that you mentioned you were uh, you. I think to to a degree you continued to run the dance schools, um, and you also transitioned as that other company that you do the user guides for um, got acquired. That you became a consultant, and then uh, you know things kind of continued to grow. And again, as you were. I'm um, looking to hitting a different phase in life. You had your uh, mother that uh, got Alzheimer's, and you had to slow down and help her out. Is that right?
0: That's correct. Uh, things kind of morphed over time. I I did get what I was after as far as staying home with my infant daughter, and then when she was six or seven, and she herself was in school, we had a good after school nanny. And I, I was asked by. The one company that I had started with, as well as several others in that field that I had started consulting for, to actually do on-site systems integrations, training, and it tapped into another love of mine, which is travel. So sometimes I would be at home planning things, writing things, communicating with customers, but other times I would be on the road, whether it was at the Fox Studio down the street here in Greenville, or WADC in New York, or Kuwait TV in Kuwait, or... Uh, DirecTV in California, I would get to fly and go and help them set up. And at that point, as my daughter got older, that became okay. It it was fine until then uh, 20, I think it was uh, 2009, I assumed the care of my mother after, after my dad passed away. And I don't think there's really anything in life that could have prepared me for that. It's it's, it's different. It was rewarding, but challenging, more challenging than kids. And it really took, a, I didn't have a, a guide for that. I really need, and it, she did require full-time care. We went through some that worked and some that didn't. And um, so, so I kind of stepped back from everything. I kept fingers in a, a little bit, but I actively tried to disengage from most things. It was time for another reset.
1: No, I think that, you know, again, almost a bit of that reset, but a different point in life. And you're saying, okay, one thing is definitely uh, makes sense or important to take care of family and to help out your parents as they get elderly. But on the other hand, you know, as now they, you know, Pass on, and they're no longer with you. First of all, it's it's always a big reset and cause or pause or cause for a bit of pause and, and kind of reassessing. But then, uh, two is kind of saying, okay, now that that phase is you know stepping back and taking care of the parent is over, what do I do next? And so, how did you decide? Kind of now that your mother's passed on, and you're saying, okay, doing or getting back about. Um, in the workforce looking for a change, you know, where did, or how did you land on the, the VP of marketing as far as the business? In other words, you've done a lot of things for yourself and doing your own businesses. What made you decide to, to go and kind of uh, do uh, work for another business?
0: Well, it is a bit backwards, isn't it? A lot of people start working for someone else, which is actually a good idea. Uh, it, I don't think I wish to do everything over again, but if I could, there is a lot of value in working for somebody from whom you can learn. So after everything, kids, dance schools, consulting, flying all over the world, taking care of mom, honestly, Devin, I was a bit tired and I did want that luxury that people are sometimes looking for when they don't want to be entrepreneurs. I was looking for somebody, something where it would be very clear what I was supposed to do every day and very clear what I was going to get out of it. And I've never really looked at entrepreneurialism as a particular risk. Uh, some people do, and that's frightful, I think, for some people. I really think working for somebody else is a bit of a risk. You could get fired any day, or the business could go out of business. Any, I Personally, I don't think it's more of a risk than working for, for yourself. But I didn't want to go through that phase where you hustle and hustle and hustle to get something going. I was tired. And I also felt that there's something magical about being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And maybe finally in life, I learned to be a little bit humble. I decided that there would be value in in learning what much larger, not just low seven figure businesses or high six figure businesses are doing or anything that I could bootstrap or whatever, what really large companies do, how they do it, how they scale. So I wanted to learn. I I wanted it to be, I won't say easy, but I wanted it to be be clear cut. And a company that I had been consulting for a little bit offered me a full-time position. I had to move to Canada to take it, which was fun and fine. And then to grow further, um, uh, several years after that, I accepted... A position with the company I'm currently with and what fascinates me about the company I'm with right now, Chiron, which makes software and hardware for live television broadcast, is that even though it's a 60-year-old company, there have been a lot of restructuring and there's a lot of new products, so it is fairly in a lot of ways like a startup, but a very big one. So there's a lot of opportunity for me there. I've, I've had um, the, the chance to, to use my entrepreneurial chops and I've built a team from nothing to about six people and more are coming. And I have um, been very instrumental at a high level in making product suggestions, marketing suggestions. So right now it's, it's suiting me just fine. So I, I can't remember, did that answer your question? <laughs>
1: It answered a whole bunch of questions. No, that was great. So um, so now I think the last thing that we chatted on just a, a bit, and that kind of brings us up to where you're at today, but now you kind of mentioned, hey, looking in the future, I still feel like there's maybe that one last entrepreneurial endeavor or something that I, you know, last hoorah or right off of the sunset or whatever you want to call it. But do you have any ideas to what that might be in the future? Is it still unknown? And you just say, have that the desire that at some point, I'm still going to hit that. Or do you have any sneak peeks as to what that might be?
0: It's not defined enough to give you a sneak peek, and there are two very different things on the table. One thing, because before we had our first conversation, Devin, I was thinking about, I, I did some thinking, I thought, how I'm going to answer his questions, what does it even mean to be an entrepreneur? So I looked in the dictionary, uh, and the definition is a person who pro, no, an entrepreneur is a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses taking greater than normal financial risks. And I think in this conversation, I've already touched on a person who operates a business. Well, that's a creation. And I think you can create within a company, you can create in a small business, or you can create something really, really big. As far as financial risk, I don't 100% buy that. I get what the definition means, but I, I think there are ways to do it. With, with raising startup money that's not risking your own house and the food on your table uh, and I also as I just said a little while ago I think working for someone else is a financial risk whether you realize it or not but the third part that I don't think that dictionary definition touches on is scale and when we think of a truly successful entrepreneur we think of somebody who's scaled something much much bigger than themselves I think so far my personal entrepreneurial ventures have been more in the line of what I would call self-employment rather than a full-on huge entrepreneur. And, and that's, that's fine. I have scaled a little bit beyond myself as far as having employees and multiple locations, but I would like to do something that's, that's, that really scales, that's, that's really big. And I think in this day and age of designing apps that suit a need and pricing them in a way that will serve many, many people, that's, that's one possibility. The other possibility is, do, do I really even want to go there? Do I maybe just want to do something that is not scaled at all, that, that could scale, but not in that way? Just me. Do so I want to write a book? And if I sell it, that's great. If I don't, well, then I'll sort that out when, when the time comes. So, so it will either be some kind of app that serves a lot of people, or it will be a book.
1: All right. Well, those both sound like they could be exciting. Maybe you'll have to do an app about or a book about writing an app or an app that writes a book or some way to combine <laughs> them all. But it sounds like it'll be a, a fun adventure and uh, definitely uh, or interested in uh, seeing how it turns out. So, well, with that, as we're now kind of caught up to a pre- the present, even a bit looking to the future, as we wrap up the, the podcast, I always have two questions I ask at the end of each episode. So, we'll jump to those now. So, the first question okay. I was asked is along your journey, What was the worst business decision you ever made? And what'd you learn from it?
0: Oh, that one's pretty clear. And I think I I told you it was pretty clear when when we had our our chat a few days ago. So, you know, I own some dance schools. I was approached by a couple who owned a dance school in a nearby town, very small town, and they wanted to sell it. And my ego made the decision instead of my brain. I did my due diligence uh, as one should, but I ignored it. I, I looked at demographics. Okay, if I want a dance school, what do I need? I need kids and I need people who can pay for lessons. So I ignored the, I didn't completely ignore it. Oh, and I also need a staff and I thought, well, I can do this. It's going to work the same way as all my other dance schools. There were enough kids there, although there was not a massive population there. There were were enough. In my due diligence, I found that 80% of them were on free lunch programs. That should have been the only red flag that I needed. Um, Another red flag was when I asked for the financials of the business, I was not granted full disclosure. And then once I assumed control of the business, I found that even what I had seen was not really indicative of the whole picture. I should have dug deeper. I sh- what I should not have done was, oh boy, I can be the lady that owns four instead of three, and this will be easy. Well, I was wrong, and I sh- and isn't this a cute quaint town where I can have a cute quaint business? Well, it was not cute at all, and it caused a lot of heartache. I still have some very good friends from that adventure but uh, it cost me dearly. So I would say, do your due diligence. Don't let your ego get the best of you. If it doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, walk away.
1: No, and I think that that's a a great thing. You know, and sometimes to almost to your point, you, you know, you get excited about the opportunity and the idea and, hey, it'll be great to expand and, you know, this is, it'll be fun and those type of things. And sometimes you just want to skip over that due diligence. And yet, oftentimes, most of the time the people I hear about, when you skip that due diligence is when you get, and you just let the excitement take over is when you make the mistakes. And if you slow the process down, do a bit more research and review things oftentimes not always because you still make plenty of mistakes and everybody does but you can avoid some of those mistakes so i think that's a a, an easy mistake to make but a a great takeaway as well second question i always ask is along your journey or sorry not along your journey but if you're talking to somebody that's going on their journey and they were uh, getting ready to start do or they're just getting into a startup or a small business what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them i
0: would tell them to be cautiously fearless. I would tell them that there is nothing stopping them. They have as much right, as much ability to do this as anyone else. I've met some people that maybe their IQ isn't the highest, maybe their family doesn't have the most money, but they were just determined and they did it. People will help you if you ask for help. Don't be afraid to get advice. Don't be afraid to listen to good advice. Sometimes you have to go in your own corner and plan. Other times you have to to listen and ask and where there's a will, there's a way.
1: No, and I think that that's a lot of great takeaways. And I think the one that a lot of times is people are shy or bashful or otherwise don't want to ask for advice. They don't want to imp- or impose on others or something along that nature. And yet most of the time, people are fairly willing to help you. They want you to succeed. And if there's an ability that doesn't cost them tons and tons of time and money, but they can uh, help along the way and give a bit of advice or direction or guidance, um, they're definitely willing to do so. So I think that's a great uh, great takeaway to, to make sure to ask for that advice and that help as, as you go along your journey. So-
0: well people right. want to
1: reach if people want to reach out to you, if they want to contact you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee of your next venture, whether it's a book or an app. They want to be an investor of your next venture, whether it's a book or an app. They want to be a your next next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach you, contact you, find out more?
0: I am on LinkedIn, Carol Bettencourt, and I am available at my email, Carol.betancourt.cb at gmail.com. Professionally for the company that I work for now, I am available at Carol.betancourt at Chiron, C-H-Y-R-O-N.com. And any of those are fine. I'm happy to chat with anybody who's interested.
1: All right. Well I definitely encourage people to reach out, contact you, find out more, and uh, and uh, get involved with your next venture when if or when it comes about. And in the meantime, check your or work out with your the current company you're doing. So Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all of you that are listeners, and if you have your own journey to tell, we'd love to share your journey. So feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to click subscribe, share, and leave us a review because we want to make sure that everyone finds out about all these awesome episodes and these great journeys because we want to make sure to help as many entrepreneurs and startups as we can. And in that note, If you ever need help with your patents or trademarks or anything else, your intellectual property or your business, feel free to go to uh, strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Thank you again, Carol, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.
0: My pleasure, Devin. Thank you.